Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. It's really good to be here with you today. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That includes the people that have gone before us, those who have believed. That includes the angels of heaven. That includes God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, all in that huge cloud of witnesses. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience or perseverance the race that is set before us. You know, I like the illustration there that's given of life being like a race. And we're the ones that are actually competing here on the field of play. If you ever followed sports or have any interest in it, sometimes you notice that they'll have former athletes that are there in the booth announcing the game or talking about it. And these are people who were once on the field of play, but now they're watching the people who are actually playing it out on the field. And I think to a degree, That's happening in the heavenly world where the people have gone on before us who already ran their race. Now, maybe some of them completed their race or their mission successfully, maybe some not so much. But the only way we make it there into that place, into the place of uh, eternity, and as far as righteousness goes, is through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, the Bible says that by faith, you are saved by grace, you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So it's there available for each of us. But whether we believe as a young person or middle aged or older person, there's still a life that we live out, and we still have to run this race that we're in, each of us individually, with patience. And so, you know, I was just thinking about the other day about I want to talk a little bit about unbelief today. And uh, But before I really get into that topic, I want to just share with you a quick story about how years ago, hearing stories about people who, you know, they, they gave money and trusted God and believed God and they got a huge return on what they gave. And then they did it again and again and again. And they were became multimillionaires and had these huge businesses. And I heard stories like that in my early 20s. And I got so excited about that, about a uh, hundredfold return, and and I listened to different preachers who preached prosperity, and I believe prosperity was definitely, most certainly, a blessing from God. But for some reason, when I gave, it didn't really seem to come back again. And, you know, people would share with me scriptures like, you know, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, he reaps. But I, it felt like I was sowing and I really wasn't reaping. And then when I would share that with maybe a, clue, a few close friends who, you know, also believe that, I would hear things like, well, you know, you're not supposed to. And then there were all of these rules on how you were supposed to believe in order for this to work. So at first people kept telling me, well, you know, you just give and, it'll, and it will happen. And then when it wasn't happening, there were a lot of excuses about why it wasn't happening. And it all led back to things that I needed to change. And so I tried to change things, and the cycle just seemed to be repeating over and over again. But there were other areas in my life that I was receiving fairly easily, and one of them had to do with health and physical things. 
where if I needed to see it, the, the hand of God at work, I did and in supernatural ways. But in that other way, when it came to money, it just didn't seem to work. So at the time when people started telling me, well, I need to change this and I need to change that, I didn't realize it, but people were doing the same thing with people who were struggling to receive healing. And so no matter what area that you look at, the gospel covers, the good news covers every area of life. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that our sins have been washed away, have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible says he forgives all our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. And it just goes over all of these blessings that are in the new covenant. And I believed all the blessings were true. But yet some of them just didn't seem to, quote unquote, manifest in my life the way I was seeing it in other people's lives. And so I kind of adapted a, a belief system to deal with that. Well, maybe doesn't God doesn't want everyone to be millionaires. Uh, and when I thought like that, I thought, well, you know, that that makes sense. If everybody was a millionaire, then I guess um, the, the only people that would be wealthy would be billionaires because everybody would be or trillionaires, maybe, because then everybody would be millionaires and they would be middle millionaires would be considered middle class. Do you know where, where I'm going with this? And the poor people would be making um, six figures probably. But, you know, I looked at it like that. And then the the time that it bothered me, that I'd be honest, was during times of intense struggle, like an old car that needed to be repaired. And, you know, it just kept breaking down. And whenever I have a little bit of extra money, that money would get sucked into a car repair. Or, you know, the same thing could apply with home repairs as people that have maybe heating and air conditioning systems that are on their last leg or bad electrical or plumbing or leaky roofs and things like that. And then when they finally get some extra money, it all goes away. And so it feels like you're not living in prosperity. It feels like you're living from one test and one trial to another. And that's what I felt like I was living in at the time. And once you start looking at yourself as the as being the problem, well, it seems quite believable, doesn't it? So in other words, if you have to have faith, but yet you have to fix all of these things in your life, you're right back to rules and regulations again. And then, you know, you start hearing people with all of these various belief systems and what about this and what about that? And the bottom line is we move from a place of all things are being possible to those who believe to a belief system that more or less embraces a some things are probable to those who believe. In other words, it's not that wide open, glorious promise like Jesus stated it outright. And we come up with all these reasons why things don't work. And then the next thing you know, we fall into a place where our life just becomes a one repeated struggle after another, where we don't really set our hopes very high because experience tells us that if you do that, you're going to be incredibly disappointed when things don't work out the way you want them to. And then what happens? Our belief system is really only something that benefits us 100% when we draw our final breath and we go before the judgment. And so Christianity, faith, becomes really not a very practical thing in our lives. Now, I just played out a situation that a lot of people live through and that I fortunately only live through in one area of my life. But Looking back on it now, I understand that unbelief was a key factor in the early days of robbing me from God's best. And unbelief to this day still affects me and it still affects you. 
Now, we could put the word doubt in there, but the Bible stresses unbelief more than anything else. Now, we might say that unbelief is a synonym for the word doubt. In other words, it's a different word that, that means the same basic thing. But, you know, I could ask you if you're doubting or believing and, and you will swear up and down that you believe. But it, and I don't want to really open up another can of worms quite yet about this, but I want to let me finish the story that I was telling you. So it got to a point where I wasn't down and out, but I could see down and out. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever been in a plane and you're really high up there in the air and you're coming down, you can't see the land yet. But you get down a little bit further and finally you can see the, the ground and then you start seeing cars moving and then you can actually see people, you know, before you're, you're landing. That's what, it, that's what it felt like. It felt like I was getting close to landing in that area known as defeat and I could see myself losing everything and I could see the worst case scenario playing out. And I was in that position and from there I just decided that I would obey the scripture. Now, thank God there's more than one scripture on all of the important topics. But long story short, I wound up setting up camp on Matthew 6.33. And that's the scripture that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And so what I did at the time was I listened to an audio of the Gospel of John all day long. And <laughs> I had it playing on the uh, TV, on a VCR at the time. And if, the, if this was today, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd have it playing on my computer. I'd have it playing on a um, whatever type of a device that I have, I guess. Maybe if I was out, I'd have it playing on my phone. I don't know. But I just listened to it on a loop all day long, and I just allowed the words of Jesus to change how I felt about myself, about my situation, and about life. And I didn't try to believe anything. I just tried to let—it's kind of like just standing under the water as it comes out of the shower spigot and just letting it wash over you. I just let it do what it was designed to do. And my financial situation changed. Because what I didn't realize at the time, but I had unbelief regarding prosperity. And today, if you ask me what prosperity is uh, in, in its context, as opposed to what I thought it was back then. Back then, I thought prosperity meant having, um, you know, just the financial side of things. And I don't want to minimize finances cause, because finances are really important. But I was, I was fixated on a certain number coming in, I was fixated on a monthly number. And every time I fell short of that monthly number, it was like shooting an arrow at a target that I was missing. And I became so aware of how much I was missing it. And then when I would think about how long I was missing it for, I would get totally discouraged. And then from that place, I would try and believe God for help. And so I was doing it with a discouraged heart. I was doing it in, in, in what we might call unbelief. And that's that's the thing that I want to focus on today is is getting over or through unbelief because consider this. Well, let me actually read you the, the scriptures first and then you can see it in its actual context. Um, Mark's Gospel chapter 9 starting in verse 14. This is right when Jesus was coming down from the, um, from the mount when he was with Jake, uh, James, John, and Peter. 
and yet transfigured before their eyes, and they saw him in his future glory, right there and then. And Moses and Elijah also appeared. Peter was kind of like dumbstruck and saying, should we make tents here for everybody? Uh, after that came, after that happened, after the voice spoke from heaven, they came back down to where all the rest of the disciples were, and there was a situation playing out. And it says here in verse number 14, it says, And when he came to his disciples, that means the rest of them, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluting to him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? In other words, what are you talking to my disciples about? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit, and whithersoever he taketh him, in case you haven't picked up on this, I'm reading the King James Version. <laughs> and whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with, gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, meaning the demon, and they could not. So basically saying, I came here to get help for my son, which has a dumb spirit. But what do you think a dumb spirit is? Well, he probably couldn't do much of anything. You know, dumb is is dumb, except for um, go into convulsions and foam at the mouth and gnash with the teeth. And and if you read some of the other um, uh, descriptions of this event, I think in Matthew it says that he uh, would oftentimes, the spirit would toss his son into the fire. Now, the, the illustration here is the spirit is inside the boy. And the spirit is a dumb spirit, and so the boy appears dumb. In other words, whatever type of spirit it is, that's the physical manifestation that's showing up in the outside visible world. But it's caused by a spirit. So if we brought this boy into a, a modern, um, what we say, emergency room maybe, and they did tests on him or a hospital or a testing facility of some kind, Maybe they would say, well, we did these tests and he has these different, chem here, you know, here's the pictures and he's got this physical problem. But the physical problem was caused by the presence of a, of a fallen spirit, a dumb spirit. And so he says that to Jesus and listen to Jesus's reply immediately here. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And when they brought him unto him, he saw him, and straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed and foaming. Now notice Jesus said there, he didn't say, what did he say? And what didn't he say? He didn't say, well, there's no such thing as a spirit. This is a physical problem. Notice what he asked here, verse, the next verse, 21. And he asked the father, how long ago since this came unto him? And he, talking about the father, said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast, oh, here we go. He oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straight away, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Isn't that interesting, that word there, unbelief? Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Now, Jesus didn't rebuke the father and says, no, you don't believe. Obviously, the father had some faith or else he wouldn't have brought the child to the disciples to try and get a solution. 
And I can look at the analogy between this scripture and the story that I just told you about my own life. Obviously, I believe because I gave, and so some people may say, well, you gave in the wrong spirit. You gave expecting a return. But doesn't the Bible say that God is not mocked? Whatever man sows, he'll reap. I was trying to do what the Bible said to do. Was I afraid of losing things? Yeah, absolutely. I felt the fear. But if not feeling fear means that you're in faith, then I've never been in faith in my life because I know what it's like to feel fear. I know what it's like for voices of doubt to come and to be whispering in your ear while you are doing the best that you can do to believe. But look what Jesus did after the, the man cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. This man was being as sincere as he could be. Lord, I believe. What did he say? I believe in you. I believed in your disciples. Maybe I don't believe in them so much anymore, but Lord, I believe in you. Help thou my unbelief. In other words, I am extremely frustrated because I've done what I know to do, and I'm, my son is still as bad as he was before. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou d dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him no more. Now he told him what he wanted him to do. Come out of him and enter him no more. I wonder what would have happened if he just said come out of him and didn't say enter him no more. Do you think that condition might have returned at some future point in time? I don't know. And it says the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead insomuch as many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind comes forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, let's read this in another one of the other Gospels. Let's read this from Matthew and see what it says there. Okay, in Matthew, and this is Matthew, now somebody may say, well, which is the correct um, which is the correct writing of this incident? Which is the correct depiction of this incident? Is Matthew more accurate than Mark? Or is Mark more accurate than Luke? And so the reason why we, I believe we have three different Gospels, four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is because when an event takes place, it's seen through the eyes of different personality types. And I believe the reason why we have these four different Gospels today is because God, in his foreknowledge, knew that it would take these different personality types, each seeing different things in the same situation and being able to present them in that way. And so if we look at all, if we put all four stories together, or three stories, because uh, John, I don't believe John talked about this, um, we get the complete picture. It would kind of be like, if Thanksgiving, everybody's sitting together at the table and uh, there's say there's five people and we talk about the conversation that two people started at Thanksgiving and then somebody else writes about, let's say in their journal, a conversation that the entire table had. And then we ask at the end, well, which story is the right story? You would have to say, well, all of it was because all of these conversations happened all of these sentences were spoken at the same gathering, plus more. You know, we look at these stories sometimes and we think, well, the people just said what we see written here. <laughs> and they didn't say anything else. 
Now, what we need to know is written here. It's what we need to see here because even John himself said it, all the things were written that Jesus did. It would probably fill all the books of the world. There were probably so many people. Just think of how many people that he met in his lifetime and how many miracles he did. And there's we just have a, a glimpse of it here. But John went on to say in his gospel that all the books of the world, in other words, this is his way of saying he just did so much, so many good things. He said so many good things. This is just a snapshot. And the reason why he gives us a snapshot and not why we don't have 20 gospels or 30 gospels is because you have, if you believe, you're connected with the man himself right now. When Jesus always liked to refer himself to, to himself as the son of man through the holy spirit you are connected with jesus the living being with god the father with the in other words you have a living relationship you can ask whatever questions you want he'll give you whatever direction you need it's just that you're not going to get it like in a nice neat written form you're going to get it from his spirit to your spirit and eventually your head will pick up on it and then on the other side of course you'll see him face to face but think about how Jesus's physical presence maybe helped to extend the faith of the people that were around him. I mean, it's one thing to be able to say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We went out and we healed the sick. We did all the things you sent us out to do. It's another thing that when it's not working, to be able to go to the man himself and ask, hey, can you help us? You know, it's one thing to be able to walk on the water. It's another thing to have Jesus' physical hand catch you and pull you up when you begin to sink. See, they had an addition, something that helped extend their faith. The original believers did. They had the physical presence of Jesus for a number of years. So it made it much easier for them as far as the flesh goes, I guess you would have to say. But then Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul in a vision and taught him directly, the Bible says. He talks about that in the book of Acts. He was like one born at a time. And and so Jesus can do the same thing today with people. But most of the time, he sends out, like he said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that's why he sends preachers out to proclaim the word so that you hear it. So whether you heard it on the TV, on the radio, or reading a Bible or some way, that you heard God's word proclaimed. Let me not go too much off on this side uh, part, but let me just leave you with this thought relative to the doubt and the unbelief. Thomas said after Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared to the disciples, he wasn't there with them in the room when he appeared. But then when he appeared afterward, he was. And he said, I just will not believe, you know, unless I'm able to touch his the holes in his hand and t- put my hand in his side there. with a sp- I, I will not believe and then Jesus appeared to him, and what does, he, what does he do? He falls down on his hands and knees and says, my Lord and my God. And, and uh, Jesus basically says, you know, Thomas, you're believing because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. See, that's the place that you and I are in. We are blessed, and God is greatly pleased when you choose to believe him. It's just that some of us can only believe him for, I don't know, 30 days at a time. And if we don't see the answer, we get discouraged and we wonder what we're doing wrong and what we need to fix. See, even if we knew what we need to fix, do you really think you're going to be able to fix it in your strength? I mean, really ask yourself that. 
If you're the problem, do you think you're going to be able to fix yourself? I know sometimes we don't think these things through. But the bottom line is, is that the, the righteousness that we have today isn't a result of us fixing ourselves. It's a result of us calling out on the name of Jesus. And another interesting thing you might notice, I'm just throwing this in there because it just came into my mind, but you see the words have faith, have faith, have faith in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and then suddenly that that imploring to have faith is gone when we're in the, um, the rest of the letters. For the most part, it's assumed that you already have faith. It's written to believers. And so from that point on, it's all about overcoming unbelief and fighting the good fight of faith. Once you have faith, maybe that's why Jesus said, getting back to the physical, his physical presence, when the centurion came to him and said that his servant was, uh, well, there were several centurions probably that came to Jesus over the course of his life, because we know many people were closet believers in that time, like Pharisees and Sadducees that really believed, but they were afraid of the people. And just, just like today, a lot of times people aren't vocal about what they believe because they don't want to deal with the persecution. But consider the fact that he said, you know, I'm a man under authority. All you have to do is, you don't have to come to my home. Just say the word and you'll be healed. And Jesus marveled and said, no, I have not found this kind of great faith in Israel. You know, go, you know, go your way as you believed it will be done. And his servant was healed from that hour. Now, now, he didn't need Jesus coming with him. Now, isn't that interesting? If you and I had a family member who was sick, maybe our, our thinking would have been a little bit different. Maybe we would have had more unbelief and we would have said, Jesus, come with me to my house and lay your hands on my son or daughter. Lay hands on my wife or my father or my mom. Or lay, lay your hands on my friend. Or, you know, come to the bank with me and touch my checkbook. <laughs> Maybe our faith would have been more that way. Maybe that's what we would have needed to overcome the unbelief. Or maybe we would have just said, Jesus, just say the word. And I know my mom or dad and brother or sister or son or daughter or whoever, wife or husband, I know they'll be healed. Just say the word. You know, I, I you know, and I'm be honest with you, as I sit here right now today, I probably would have felt better having them come with me to make sure nothing messed up. <laughs> I mean, if Jesus told you, think about this. If Jesus told you, if, if you said, if there was somebody who you loved that was sick or somewhere, and you know, you said, Jesus, just say the word, and you went, and you got there, and the person wasn't well, you would probably be beating yourself up for doubting or, or worried that you did something wrong, you didn't say the right thing. Or, but if at least if you have Jesus with you, then you'll be able to get an answer that you'll hear with your physical ears and an answer that you'll see with your physical eyes. That's what I guess that's what I'm pointing to with the fact that the disciples had that advantage of being able to see Jesus himself. Now, this is another thing I believe. I believe that Jesus has appeared to people over the years um, in visions and dreams and gave them information. I believe that some of you wish that, wow, I wish something like that would happen to me. But I, I personally believe that if that did happen to you, then you would be expected to believe on a higher level going forward because you actually saw with your eyes. I believe that, like that scripture says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe that it's to your advantage to not see. Because maybe in situations like that, the Bible says that God will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able 
or tested or tried above that which we're able, but will with with every test, trial, or tribulation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I believe that the way of escape is the way of escape from unbelief. Because if you believe, you receive. You can see that over and over and over again in the Bible. Okay, so um, what was that scripture that we were looking at? Matthew chapter 17, when he, um, verse 19, this is the Matthew's version of it. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you that if you have a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I See, I've come to believe over the years that this kind is referring to this kind of unbelief, not this kind of spirit. Because all throughout the Bible, we see what fasting does. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that fasting breaks the bands of wickedness. In other words, it breaks the bands that are holding you back. What kind of bands are holding you back? I believe the only bands that can really hold us back anymore, if you believe, if you're in Christ, if you believe that when Jesus said it is finished, at the cross, he really meant that it is finished. If you believe that the only fight that you're supposed to be fighting today is the good fight of faith, if you want to beat the devil, you can't fight the devil. And the Bible says to resist him. In other words, resist the thoughts of his doubt. Just like he brought to Jesus when Jesus was tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. When he was tempted and tested and tried out there. What was the temptations about? It was getting Jesus into unbelief, into doubt, into bowing his knees to a fallen spirit. So because of their unbelief, they were not able to. Now, I believe they had belief, but they also had unbelief. In other words, both of them can exist at the same time, one canceling the other out. Back to my own situation. <clears throat> I believed God would prosper people. I believed he could prosper me. I believe he wanted to prosper me. I just wasn't sure if he could do it. I thought maybe there was something in my life that was blocking it. And every time I looked at my life, boy, I found quite a few things that I thought would be good enough reason to block it. Now, you see, you can apply that kind of thinking to every area that you're struggling in, and you'll be on one permanent loop because there will always be a visible reason. There will always be something in your personality that's not let's say glorifying to God, that's inconsistent, that's not really 100% sincere. And if you go about trying to fix those things, then you will be in a place of great frustration. And I can tell you because I was there myself relative to this one area of, of my life. And I'll tell you, the more I look at myself and the more you look at your own abilities or inabilities, then the more frustrating it becomes because the more you realize that, yeah, you know, you're, you are lacking that this great salvation that the Bible talks about, were it not a free gift, you could never achieve it. You could never be good enough. You could never be holy enough. You could never be righteous enough. We're attracted to all the wrong things. <clears throat> and we find it frustrating. And so, but the more we keep our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves, the less we see of ourselves and the less we see of him, the more we see of the answer, the promises and blessings of God, and the less we focus on the curse and what's lacking, then the freer we become. 
And so I just decide that I'm just going to have to go ahead with that scripture which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you because I tried so hard to build my business. I tried so hard to be wise with my money. And I tried so hard to give with the right heart and get that return, and it just wasn't coming. And so I decided to just forget about it. I just decided I, it was too frustrating. It was just way too frustrating. So I went from like 1986, 87, 88, 9, 90, 1, 2, 9. I went a good seven years with just complete frustration around this topic. And then, you know, sometimes I'd buy a book on where it talked about God's blessings and receiving financial miracles and breakthroughs. And it was just like, I felt like the, the Israelites wandering in the desert relative to my finances. And so finally I said, Lord, for my own sanity, I have to forget about my finances. I just have to focus on you and this scripture, seeking first the kingdom of God. I said, if you want me to make like 20,000 a year or 50,000 a year or 100,000 a year or some other number, you're going to have to decide that because I've tried to make that a goal you know, these numbers and numbers just haven't worked for me and I'm sick of dealing with it and I'm sick of getting frustrating uh, over it. I'm sick of missing the mark. And so I'm just going to concentrate on you. And when I did that over the next 12 months, my life began to transform and it was liberating because I wasn't carrying that weight on my shoulders of trying to believe anymore. I was just looking at what the Bible said. Seek you first the kingdom of God will be added to me. And so whether that happens this week, this month, this year, or some future point in time, that's not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to add it to me. And so this approach set me free of unbelief. Now, <clears throat> let me read of that kind of unbelief. <clears throat> now, some kinds of unbelief are just not knowing what the Bible says about a topic. First Timothy, let me just let me just read you some examples of unbelief um, that are mentioned in the Bible before time gets away from me. In uh, Mark six six, it says he, meaning Jesus, marvelled because of their unbelief. He couldn't do any mighty work in his own hometown. It says Matthew thirteen and fifty eight. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Another translation says, and another one of the, uh, I believe it's Mark, says he couldn't do uh, many mighty works there or any mighty works there because of their unbelief. Um, Mark 6.6, 6, he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about their villages teaching. which gave them information. He gave them good news to counter the unbelief. We already read about what Mark 9.24 said. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Uh, Mark 16, verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, meaning as they were at the dinner table to, getting ready to eat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe. And then it says, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. See, he appeared unto the eleven, and what did he do? He upbraided them. He rebuked them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe. We think about the Israelites of old, how they didn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And we can compare that with Abraham, who is our example, the father of faith. It says in Romans 4.20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. 
In other words, he had confidence, and his confidence wasn't based on what he could see because he was his body was dead and so was Sarah's womb. But his belief wasn't based on what he was seeing. It was based on the promise of God and God's ability to see it through. Think about that. Are you staggering at your own inability? Probably you are if you're focusing on it. Maybe even you're focusing on your ability to have faith and not doubt, and that's bothering you. Or you're focusing on the fact of whether or not you're doing it right, or praying right, or believing right. Why not instead focus on the grace of God and his ability to make you do and say all of the right things? Isn't that possible? No, he he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, the Bible says there. It says that the Jews in Romans 11.20 were broken off because of unbelief. And it says, but thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. And then it says in Romans 11.23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And so that applies to the Jews. It applies also to you if you are living in unbelief. If you are broken off from the promises of God due to your unbelief, if you are broken off for God's best in your life, if you're broken off from the answer, if Jesus can't do any mighty works in your life because of your unbelief, then God is able to graft you in again. That's what you need to focus on. You see, whatever inspires you, whatever encourages you, deals a death blow to your unbelief sucks the life out of your unbelief. See, unbelief has to be fed, just like belief does. And we feed ourselves unbelief every day by the movies that we watch, to the books that we read, through the mass media. Romans 11.30 says, For as ye in past times have not believed God, yet now you obtain mercy through their unbelief. Talking about the Gentiles coming in thanks to the unbelief of the Jews, that God has opened up the gospel and sent it out to all the world. And then Romans 11.32 says it this way, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. In other words, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, however you want to divide it up, everybody starts out in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Paul puts it this way, he says uh, in 1 Timothy 1.13, he tells young Timothy, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did what I did ignorantly in unbelief. Now that kind of unbelief, he just didn't know. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was in a different kind of unbelief. Kind of like the Bible says, for a lack of knowledge, my people perish. He didn't even know that Jesus was Lord. He just assumed that he was a pretender. And so he went about persecuting the church, but he then he found out. And so he obtained mercy because he did what he did in unbelief. But then there's the other kind of unbelief where you have the promises of God, but your flesh is just, you, you take sides against it. And that's the kind of uh, unbelief that, um, that you need to be set free of. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You don't need dead religion. You need the living God in your life. You need the living God to bring peace into your heart. You can't have religion do it. You need the living God to set you free from the things that oppress you and your mind and that bring you into bondage. You don't need more religion. You don't need form without power. 
You need to be free of unbelief. Hebrews 3.9 says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 4.6 says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter in therein, and to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Moving on to verse 11, Let us therefore labor to enter into the rest of God, which is the faith, the belief, the confidence, lest any man fall short of the same example of unbelief. So your problem isn't, is kind of like, and I recognize this because I recognized it as my problem. Our problem isn't that we don't have faith, those of us who already believe. The problem, the problem is, is that the unbelief is too strong and it's negating the faith. Just like the father cried out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. There is the answer right there. He got his mind off the disciples and he got his mind onto Jesus. Now, Maybe you bring your problems to modern-day preachers, disciples, heads of ministry, whatever, thinking that that little bit of extra help can encourage you. And maybe having knowing somebody that, yes, they're going to pray with you, they're going to believe with you, but at the end of the day, the way to get rid of unbelief is to take your eyes off of Jesus' disciples and put them on Jesus himself, because that's how the Father got his answer in this scenario. That's how unbelief was overcome. He took his eyes off his son. He took his eyes off the disciples. He forgot about everything and he put all of his hope in Jesus. And Jesus got the result. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Of the earth. So that's why, you know, the Bible talks about little faith, weak faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, a mustard seed is probably the smallest of all seeds. So it's not a lack of faith that you have. It's just that maybe your faith isn't very strong because it's being countered by unbelief. Kind of like the tug of war again. And so we're in a place where you, you know, you've got to feed your faith and starve your unbelief. And the only reason, the only way you can do that is not looking to all the things that you need to change in your life, all the things that you need to give up and start doing and stop doing, but just look at Jesus and focus in on him and one or two of the scriptures that encourages you or gives you confidence and let that be your focus. And that's what you see through. That's what it means when it says Jesus taught them a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's what you do. You just set up camp on, on a few scriptures Again, that encourage you. And I look at it like this. If you take um, a cup of water and there's it's cloudy because there's dirt in it, then, then trying to make it work is kind of like trying to figure out how to get a strainer in there and to scoop the dirt out. And it's just a long, laborious, never-ending process. The other option is, is to put that cup of dirty water under the faucet and turn that faucet on as high as you can get it to go. And just let the clean, fresh water flush out the old, dirty water. And if you've been struggling with something a long time, that's what you need. You just need to find a few scriptures. And you need to take those and focus directly on Jesus, directly on God the Father, directly on what's encouraging you. And you need to turn those things on and let that be your focus day in and day out, week in and week out, until you get to the place where <clears throat> it's almost impossible not to believe. It's almost impossible not to have confidence. It's impossible to see yourself with the problem because you see yourself with the solution 
just like Abraham did before it, turned, it becomes visible, long before it becomes visible on the scene. Whereas the other way to go about it, which a lot of people do, is to look at the problem and to do your best to believe and then look at the problem again and see if your belief has changed the problem. And then again, it's kind of like these bursts of belief following by examining the situation to see if it's changed at all. That approach will just wear you out. Whereas it's God's responsibility to make his word come to pass. The Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. He watches over his word to make it good. Right? And he, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Our job is to ask, and our job is what we focus on. You know, in the wilderness, the Israelites were bitten by the serpents. Maybe you remember that story. And God told Poses, Poses, Moses to make the serpent and put it on the pole, on the cross. And it to, he told the Israelites, whoever looks intently upon this brass serpent, that person will live. Numbers 21.9. I'll read it quickly. King James Version. Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and it came to pass. Who made it come to pass? Didn't, wasn't it God? Wasn't it the Holy Spirit? The Lord? Jesus? You know, sometimes I, I look at them as one and sometimes I look at them as individuals, but, you know, it's kind of the same, right? Moses made a serpent of brass foretelling. It's a picture of Jesus taking our sins, taking our sicknesses, taking our curse, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That word beheld there means to gaze upon intently, not just like a casual glance. So I hope you can see that. A lot of times, again, we, we take the God's word or our prayer or whatever, and we put one-third of the effort into asking, or we should say one-tenth of the effort, and then we take the other nine-tenths to examine the problem to see when, if, and how that prayer changed the problem. And if not, we assume that we prayed wrong or are believing wrong or doing something wrong, and then we go to correct it, and then we get caught in this loop. And what's really happening is the very looking at the problem, the very looking at ourselves, the very intellectualizing the entire process is pumping life into unbelief, or I should say death, but is causing unbelief to grow up and puff up and to be stronger than our faith. And so, just like the disciples, why couldn't we cast it out? I think that why can't we could put anything after that relative to the promises of God? You know, uh, why can't we get a breakthrough with and then fill in the blank? Jesus' answer is always going to be the same. It's going to be because of your unbelief. Because you're looking at yourself, you're, you're calculating your sins, you're calculating your inability, you're calculating your flaws. It's all based on you, and it's not based on the finished work of Jesus at the Christ. It's not until you get your eyes off of yourself onto one or two promises of God, whatever encouraging you, and then you just start looking intently at the pole. I know some people look so intently, I've heard testimonies of this in the past, that whatever the problem was, and it's amazing how much, if you're in unbelief 
and and you really are honest with yourself, you probably spend a lot of time thinking about how to fix certain problems in your own strength. Instead of looking to the fact that Jesus is your solution. Not he has a solution, but he is your solution. And if you would just get your eyes on him and one or two promises of God to anchor your mind, then you can just live and, you know, whatever your problem is that you've got to deal with daily, that whatever that problem shows up, whenever those symptoms show up, they'll become minor inconveniences in your thought life because you'll be so focused in on looking at that cross and looking at Jesus that you are no longer giving life to unbelief, but you're sucking the life out of that unbelief. And your faith, which is already there because you already believe in Jesus, you're not praying to some person you don't believe is there. The very fact that you're even asking God for help shows that you have faith. Faith has never been your problem if you're a believer 99 out of 100 times. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you don't have, you have a lack of knowledge or you, you maybe you don't believe something because you, your mind hasn't been renewed. But once you know the truth, once you know what the Bible says, but it doesn't feel like it's going to work for you, it doesn't feel like it applies to you, or you can believe it applies to other people a lot easier than it applies to you, that's because of unbelief. And the only way of unbelief to get rid of unbelief, well, this kind of unbelief, is by focusing on Jesus. See, that's what f- prayer and fasting does. Fasting makes it easier to lessen the... Um, your body's influence on your in, inward man. So for some of you, that might mean fasting breakfast or fasting lunch or fasting breakfast and lunch and eating at dinner so that you can focus on Jesus with less distraction. Years ago, I was feeling really bad. I decided I was having trouble eating because my throat was so sore. I was a kid at the time and I decided I'm going to fast I'm going to announce a fast. I'm going to seek God during this time. And it was the last really bad physical test that I had, or one of the last. And during that time, it was amazing. The things that would um, I find tempting me. So I was about 21 years old at the time. Like I said, just a kid. And I just remember that foods didn't uh, appeal to me. I remember at the time I was still living at home. And watching the TV and there were these girls jumping around with these skimpy bikinis on. And I I didn't even look twice. It just didn't even appeal to me. I was amazed. 20-year-old, 21-year-old man didn't even find that appealing. Whereas before it would have been a test not to look. Now, you know, it wasn't at all. Just being honest with you about it. Were my favorite foods. Nothing appealed to me. The games that I like to play and stuff like that. The things I did, nothing appealed to me. So I fasted for about seven days. All I had was water. And during that time, it was like I felt like one foot was in heaven and one foot was in the earth. And thank God I received my healing then, like seven days later. But it it opened my realization up to an entire another world that was out there. not telling you you should or do it to that extreme. But I'm just saying that if you will... Um, take the time and practice fasting a meal or two here or there at certain times in your life, I think you'll find it easier to dominate those emotions that come against you and pull you in a direction that you don't want to go in. You know, and, and as a believer, as a human being and a believer, I know that deep down inside, you want to do the right thing. Deep down inside, um, if you find yourself coveting something that somebody else has, 
the real you doesn't want that, but it's the it's this body, this machine, right? The Bible says that sin dwells in your members, in the flesh. If you weren't in this body, you wouldn't feel that temptation, right? Or same thing with the lust for food. You know, if you're addicted to certain kinds of food, and I think everything should be done in moderation. That's how I look at it. But I know what it's like to just, you know, just crave certain kinds of junk food and realizing that it's not good. But the only way to get that feeling to leave is to eat, to eat it. And when you begin to get victory over that, it's really liberating, you know, or I know people that felt the same way about cigarettes, you know, where they just can't help it. They just got to got to get a cigarette in them to get rid of those jitters, that nervousness, that on edge feeling that's pushing them closer and closer to the edge. We're getting a, that nick that hit of nicotine will get rid of that. You don't want to be in bondage to anything. Bondage doesn't bring any freedom, <laughs> right? I mean, bondage doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make you feel happy. It's just one of those things that disgusts you. You may get to feel disgusted by yourself. And I can say this because we're all wired the same way. And there is a level of freedom that goes higher. As long as you're in this physical body, there is a level of freedom that's available to you that you're not at yet. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been walking or in, in the things of God, there's always a higher level. And you'll know it when you get out of this body, when you get into that other world. But in the meantime, uh, it's something that you can have right here, right now in this time. All right. I hope today has helped you. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. And let me just add that God, yes, through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of heaven. But God is glorified when we come out of the other side of the fire, when we come out of the other side of the test or trial, and we come out with more than we went in with. We come out victorious and not defeated. All right, have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again very soon.